Thanks for checking out the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. To find out more about us, visit our website at iloveelevate.com. You can also stay up to date with what's going on by finding us on social media platforms like Instagram, Facebook, and Snapchat. Please consider subscribing to the podcast and sharing it with your friends. We hope you enjoy this message and it brings you closer to Jesus. In the middle of the book of Mark, this series is titled Son of Righteousness, and we'll get to why. There's a quote by Billy Graham that I love, and I think it's a great introduction for tonight. It says this. See, many people, they like to try to look at the miracles in the Bible and try to figure out how those may have happened physically. Maybe there's the parting of the Red Sea, and they say, well, there was an avalanche upriver, up and it stopped the water, and so they embellished it. You know, and, and, but I love this quote. It says this. Jonah swallowed by a fish? Question mark. I'd believe it if Scripture said that Jonah swallowed the fish. It's not difficult to believe if you believe in a God of miracles. The part of the Red Sea, people raised from the dead, the sun stopping in the sky. These are crazy miracles, and they're absolutely not anchored in the reality that we know, that we can experience with our five senses, and that's why they're miracles. And if we believe in a God of miracles, then it's no longer difficult to accept the impossible when God does it. So, open questions. Do you believe in a God that's all-powerful? Do you believe that He interacts, even orchestrates human history? Do you believe that his eyes are lovingly on you within human history and within time. Is he a personal God that's personal to you as an individual? Psalm 20, verse 6. This is written by David. And David, I bet you, he must have been struggling in a time that he felt like his prayers were hitting the ceiling. And we're going to take one verse out of the middle of this, because I think it's a great launching verse for our, our passages in Mark, and then we're going to come back and read the majority of the psalm to kind of get David's heart. But here's the verse. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him, that is the anointed, that's you guys, those who call on his name, that are saved, that call him Lord. He will answer you guys. From his holy heaven, with the saving might of his right hand. I'm going to read that all the way through. Now I know the Lord saves his anointed, his people. He will answer them from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. That is so worth remembering. That he is ready and willing, and his ear is inclined to answer you from heaven. To answer me from heaven. That's encouraging. Now, chapter after chapter, Mark keeps bringing us back to this is who Jesus is. Will you believe it or not? He over and over again presents Jesus as the Son of God, the Messiah, God in flesh, and regularly brings the reader, us, back to the fork in the road of having to decide, do I believe it or not? His first chapter John the Baptist declares Jesus as Messiah. Jesus is baptized, and then God's voice from heaven says, Behold, this is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. The disciples in the book of Mark are really slow in understanding who Jesus is. They have like this laborious struggle to wrap their minds around who 
Christ's identity is. But Mark, who is writing the book, is right up front. Chapter 1, Jesus is the Son of God. Are we clear on that? Good, we can move forward with the story. And every chapter, Mark does this again. In chapter 2, Jesus claims to forgive sin, which only God can do. Then turns around and refers to himself as the Son of Man, a reference to Daniel's prophecy as the one, the man-like figure that God would bestow authority and kingship for all of eternity. Again, Mark, chapter after chapter, is bringing us back to this is who Jesus is and asking us, do you believe it? In chapter 3, Jesus overrules the interpretation of the Old Testament that says, oh, well, you can't do this stuff on the Sabbath. And Jesus is like, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. Let me deal with this. Mark continues opening up this case. So Jesus has done a whole bunch of healings. The healings have drawn a crowd. The crowd is so big that they're almost hindering his ministry. People are coming to see the magic show, basically what Jesus is doing. They're forcing their way in to try to bring loved ones, hoping they can get healing. Very few of them are actually there because of his ministry and more about what they can get. And they're almost becoming a hindrance. There's a a city that he can't get into because the crowds are so thick there. Remember, they almost didn't get the paralyzed guy. Remember Legolas? They almost couldn't get him in because the crowds were so thick. And then Jesus starts teaching in parables. It's like these mysterious stories that they can understand, but then there's these layers that, that carry something that the Holy Spirit has to interpret. And then Jesus steps aside and unpacks them for his disciples. And so we're going to pick up between a collection of parables and Mark changing, changing gears and Jesus going home to Nazareth. And right bookended in the middle of that are these three little stories that he connects, one, two, three. And he has them there on purpose, collected together on purpose. And that's what we get to take a look at. Mark chapter 4, and I think you're going to recognize each of these stories, but I hope you see them in a new light. Because my mind was like exploding as I was reading these. We're going to start at verse 35. Jesus had just finished preaching all these parables. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. Jesus doesn't give an explanation. He's just like, hey guys, we're getting in a boat, we're going to the other side of the sea. Maybe this is sort of like chapter 1, where the Holy Spirit, after it came on Jesus, drove Jesus into the wilderness. He was compelled by the Holy Spirit to do something. So what is Jesus crossing the sea for? Verse 36, And leaving the crowd, they took him and with them in the boat, just as he was, and the other boats were with him. So they're getting into this boat. Getting out into a boat is one of the only ways that he can get separate from the crowds. There was times that the only way he could preach was to get in the boat and push offshore so they wouldn't crowd him so much that he could actually preach to, to the people. So he gets in the boat, they're crossing to the other side. Verse 37, And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. He was in the stern, the back, asleep on a cushion. And they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? Don't you know we're dying here? So problem is the big storm plus sinking boat equals drowning. Big storm, sinking boat, drowning. Things are not going well. We have Jesus sleeping in the stern. It tells us two things. One, this guy is absolutely physically exhausted. He is sleeping through this crazy storm, waves coming over the boat and everything, and he's out. He has had some long stretches of ministry. He's tired. And then the flip side of the coin is he's out cold because he's absolutely fearless. He's not afraid of a little storm. He's God in flesh. He's the one who chose to cross the sea. He knows what he's doing. And everything that he does is with a purpose. And they come to him, and they give him a challenge. Don't you 
know that we're perishing? Don't you care about us? Do you hear that challenge there? Wake up, wake up, we're drowning here. Don't you care that we're perishing? Don't you care about us? I never read it in that context before, but it's so clear. Verse 39, and he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Now Jesus didn't need a magic spell. He didn't need some sort of like rain, rain, go away dance. He, he didn't need anything fancy. He just has the authority. Imagine him waking up, like, this is my mental image, you know, he's like, you know, hold on, hold on, where's, you know, shoo, what's the matter with you guys, I'm sleeping here. Yeah, I love Jesus. He simply operated out of his authority as the creator, the sustainer, and the ruler of the elements. Verse 40, he says to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Jesus has reason to be fearless. He's God, and he understands what he's doing. He initiated this trip. Whatever happens along the way is from him, and he's using this for teaching and expanding the kingdom. What reason do they have to be fearless? What were they supposed to trust or have faith in? And I felt like that was obvious, but I want you to grab that question. What do they have to trust in? What is their faith supposed to be in? Put that in your pocket. We're going to come back to that. Verse 41, And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Storm from the X-Men has nothing on this guy. Note one, their reaction is noted by Mark. And Mark is pointing us out. How did they react to this? They were terrified at this guy who can command the sea. The second is this, that Mark uses the disciples to pose his question to us. Who is this? Do you hear Mark talking through the text to reach out to us, the readers? Who is this? Who is this? Can we believe that a human stands on the front of the boat, just woke up, and commands the storm to be still? With what, three words? Four words? Who is this? Can we, the reader, accept this? So they arrive, and immediately Jesus Jesus is encountered by a man. Mark 5, verse 1. And they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes, Gerasenes, And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately, he's like one foot on the land, and immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. This guy, latch on to this guy. He is super important to Mark. You'll see why in a second. He is not functioning in his own mind. He is completely crazy, detached from reality, possessed with a demon. And he's unnamed. Uh, Do y'all want to call him Smeagol? Out of his mind, multiple personality. Yeah, I thought it worked. So let's call him Smeagol. This guy, now don't miss this. You have to understand the depth of what's happening here. Legolas, Smeagol, do you see the pattern? <laughs> this guy has been dominated and oppressed by evil spirits. Demons that neither come from or are affected by the physical realm. You can't track a demon with a dog. You can't beat it with a baseball bat. You can't lock it. 
in a jail cell. This guy is possessed by a power that we have no ability to confront. Therefore, verse 3, he lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore. Not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains. But he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. So doing more curls in the gym is not going to help you arm wrestle this guy. His power is not earthly. What is inside of him is demonic. And it's functioning not here. And so they're terrified of this guy. They have no way to subdue him. They have no way to trap him. Verse 6, And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran. It says Jesus immediately, as he came out of the boat, this guy is at his feet, right? Came from afar, ran, and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God, please don't torment me. For he was saying to him, Jesus was saying to this guy, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. This is so cool. The demon of the spiritual realm, the enemy here, is declaring who Jesus is. The disciples don't know who Jesus is yet. Here in a few chapters, Peter is going to make his great statement of faith, and he's going to say, I believe you're the Christ, meaning Messiah. But two sentences later, Peter is like, no, 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 you can't die. You're not allowed to die. You're supposed to be the Messiah. So Peter has no, like he is still has this halfway understanding of who Jesus is. It will not be in the book of Mark until Jesus' death when a Roman centurion stands at the foot of the cross and goes, obviously this man was the Son of God that anyone in this story will recognize who Jesus is, not just as a prophet to come, but as the very Son of God in flesh. And right here in Mark chapter 5, the bad guys declare who Jesus is in front of the disciples. That is crazy. You are the Son of God. In Mark's narrative, the disciples slowly and painstakingly figure out who he is. But Mark, the writer, is right up front. He wants us to know over and over and over again. The voice from heaven tells us. The Holy Spirit descending on him tells us. The self-proclamation is the Son of Man. The miracles that he does. And even out of the mouths of the enemy, Jesus is proclaimed as the Son of God. Verse 9. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs. Let us enter the pigs in the herd, numbering about 2,000. And so they rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. I think I skipped a verse. Sorry. Legion, about 2,000. So Jesus is not stacked up 1v1 here. This is Jesus versus thousands of those unearthly, powerful, demonic forces. And they beg Jesus for mercy. Do you understand the power and authority that Jesus walks in? They have no ability 
to affect this guy because of the unearthly power inside of him, and yet that begs Jesus for mercy because of who Jesus is. Verse 14, the herdsmen fled and told in the city and in the country. And the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. So we have a reaction from people again, fear. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart, to leave their region. So they show up and they realize that their bank account had just done this fatal swine dive into the ocean. And they're terrified. We get the reaction from the people. Again, it's fear. This is just my imagination. I wonder where Smeagol got his clothes from. I'd love to think that Jesus just took it off himself and gave it to him. What if Jesus is like, here, no, cover yourself. I I just love Jesus, so I think that's how it worked. Fear drives them to send Jesus, the one who brought freedom, away. It's amazing how fear not only paralyzes us, but fear actually makes us reject the very one that can give peace and solution and hope. Isn't that crazy? Jackie tells me all the time, the two things that make us run away from God are shame and pride. And so often those two things are really the same. That's great. Verse 18, as he was getting, as Jesus was getting into the boat, buckle up. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. So this guy is like, let me follow you. Let me come with you. And Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim it in Decapolis, how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. This guy wants to go be with Jesus and follow him around, but Jesus gives him a mission instead. I didn't catch it until today. Up until now, and continuing, every time Jesus does a miracle, Matthew, Mark, Luke, all three of these books, they call it the messianic secret, because every time Jesus does a miracle, Jesus says to them, all right, great, you're better, Go out, don't tell anybody what happened. Because he knows that if they go and tell people, people just want to show up for the show. And he's going to be hindered. Over and over and over again, Jesus is like, look, I'm glad you have your sight. Don't tell anybody. Leprosy, great. Go show yourself in the temple. Don't tell anybody. This is the only instance that I think that I've found where he actually says, go and tell all your friends. Make it known. Smeagol is the first time that Jesus instructs to go and tell people. Jesus won't do this with his own disciples until 6 verse 7, and a whole other chapter away, when he sends them out two by two, making this demon-possessed guy the first evangelist and apostle. Apostle means sent. Jesus sends him to go. And because of him, this whole city is not full of fear. They're full of awe of who Jesus is. This demon-possessed guy was worth crossing the sea for, was worth fighting the oceans for, and the winds and the waves and the craziness. So it's not what did Jesus cross the sea for, but who did Jesus cross the sea for? So let me ask that question again. What were they supposed to have faith in? That he could stop the storm? Sure. Sure. 
I mean, although that was kind of new to them. They never saw him do anything like this before. Jesus crossed the sea for one unnamed man who was ostracized by an entire city. Jesus crossed the sea because he loved one guy. What were they supposed to have faith in? Jesus, the Son of God, in their boat. And they were terrified. They were supposed to have faith that Jesus cared about them. If Jesus is going to cross a sea for one, how much more can they bet on it that Jesus is not going to let anything happen to them? I wonder how often we capture and remember the idea in the highs and the lows, the deep lows of life, remembering that Jesus loves you. And he's in your boat with you. And he's got you. How often do we forget that? Their faith is not just in, yes, he's got the power. Their faith is in, he cares about you. He cares about me. As an individual, as a person who's hurting inside, who just dealt with a a horrible week, maybe. As someone who has background issues and maybe abuse and, and things that have gone on. He cares about you. If he knows every time a sparrow hits the ground, he knows you. He knows your name. He knows the number of hairs you have on your head. Jesus, don't you care that we're dying? Of course I care. Have, don't you have any faith? Don't you know who I am? But Mark's not done. Let's keep going. Verse 22. So they... Cross back over, right? They're on the other side of the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. All right, so we go from the guy who is demon-possessed, dirty, ostracized, and naked, and then Jesus comes over here and meets Jairus, a probably well-off, very well-respected and clothed guy in the community. So Jesus is meeting everybody. I love it. He has no respect for persons. Jairus by name, and seeing him, Jairus fell at his feet and implored him, begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come, lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. So Jesus goes from demon-possessing crazy to a well-off religious leader. Verse 25, And Jesus went with him, and a great crowd followed and thronged about him. Again, they're like, they're like keeping him from getting where he wants to go. Now, in other times in Jesus' ministry, people have come to him and said, Jesus, my my servant is sick at home. And Jesus says, go home. They're better. So Jesus makes a conscious decision to take a journey with this guy. He very easily could have done the exact same thing. She's better? Head home. When you get there, you'll find out. But Jesus chooses to take a walk and go with this guy. Because along the way, Verse 25, and there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. Guys, if you're in here and you're like, I'm clueless, that means that she had a period forever for 12 years. That is miserable, awful, terrible. And in Jewish society, that meant that she couldn't be in public. So she was ostracized by her own society. She had spent all that she had, suffered under many physicians, And she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard reports about Jesus and came up behind him in a crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately 
the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. So her sickness is not like a 24-hour cold. This is a long-term, persisting sickness that, that doctors, the people that knew the body, that understand conditions, couldn't handle. She spent all of her money, and many doctors found her hopeless. Huh. And she's not even supposed to be in this crowd. Any guy that she rubs up against, the guy is supposed to consider themselves ritually unclean. And so she's taking a big risk being out there. Verse 30, And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to them, Do you see the crowd pressing around you? And yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. So we have the demons, the religious ruler, and the sick woman, and all of them fell down at the feet of Jesus because of his authority. Was Jesus confused in the crowd? Who touched me? No. He just made a trip on his way to Jairus' house because he knew he needed to encounter a woman. She was on his mind when he said, yes, I'll go with you. Instead of just saying, go, she's healed. This woman was on his mind. And he started walking. Just like the trip across the sea, he had someone he needed to meet, an appointment he needed to make. Verse 35, While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble this teacher any further? Jairus must have been broken. It's over. My last hope, the last thing that I had to try, has failed. You know, as a parent, he would have done anything. You know he's tried everything, the cold packs and every medicine. He's got the money. He's got the respect. There was nothing else he could do except hope that Jesus could get there in time. Verse 36. But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Don't fear. Only believe. What are they believing in? Jesus is not done teaching on faith. He reprimanded the disciples in the boat. He praised this woman for pushing through the crowd. And now he challenges this report of death. Jesus is saying, do you think death has the final say around here? (laughs) Come at me, bro. Watch this, death. Verse 37. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue. And Jesus saw the commotion, the people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he entered, he said to them, Why are you making commotion and weeping? This child's not dead, but sleeping. I love it. Jesus challenges. Yeah. Make a rap, stutter step. Jesus challenges their very reality. Why? Because Jesus isn't anchored in the, spirit, in the physical realm either. Jesus isn't stuck just in flesh and blood. To Jesus, death is a transition. It's nothing temporary or finite to him. So he challenges their reality. She's not dead. She's just sleeping. 
There's nothing final here. And what's their response? Verse 40, and they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him, Peter, James, John. And went in where the child was, taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking. For she was about 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. So we have a crowd reaction again. Amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this. See, there you go. He strictly charged them that no one's supposed to know about this. And he told them to give her something to eat. So on this side of the sea, he's still trying to keep his miracles undercover. What is Mark teaching us about who Jesus is? We have four miracles, we have three stories, and two journeys of Jesus. Four miracles, three stories, two journeys. There are repetitions. Someone is falling at his feet. There's a big miracle. There's people's reactions. And then there's this ongoing teaching of faith in these four stories. Number one, both journeys are for the benefit of an unexpected character. Both characters are shunned by society, and they have been in their afflictions many years. He traveled across the sea because of one. And he's taken this hike with Jarius, seemingly for his daughter, but he still has some, a one in mind. The four miracles are clumped together like this. Check this out. Jesus, what's your authority? Number one, he calms the wind and the waves. He has authority over all of nature. Number two, he exercises the demons. He has authority over the spiritual realm. Number three, he heals this woman of her 12-year disease. He has authority over the physical and over the body. And number four, he raises this girl from the dead. He has authority over death itself. Within a collection of these four stories, we see that Mark sets up Jesus as God over the elements, of God over all the spiritual realm, over the body, and the God over death. Four little stories clumped together. Number three, the miracles are personal. And they're driven by Jesus' compassion for the individuals. He desires their faith to be in two things. He wants their faith to be anchored in that he has the power. He is the Son of God. But also, their faith needs to be that Jesus loves them and cares about them. My challenge to you is so simple tonight. Do you believe that Jesus is all-powerful? If he's all-powerful, do you believe Jesus cares about you? It's easy to wrap our minds around a disconnected God, but it means something entirely different to say, that God cares about me. That God died on a cross for me. He's thinking about me right now. He cares about what happens to me. Is your God too small? Is he disconnected? Did he wind up the clock of earth and set it spinning? Or is he intricately involved, hands-on in your life? I want to read some again. Forgive me that I'm going to skip around just a little bit. We're going to read verses 1, 5 through 6, and verse 9, just for brevity. But I want you to hear David from that verse that we read at the beginning. And he opens up. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. What's his cry? But the Lord will answer. 
answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. Verse 5, may we shout for joy over your salvation, and in the name of our God, set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions, your prayers. Verse 6, now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Verse 9, O Lord, save the king. So David is praying for himself. O Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. So the first verse of the psalm and the last verse of the psalm are a request that the Lord will answer. But right in the middle, that verse 6, we get this statement of faith. Now I know the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. You have a God that will answer. Do you believe he cares enough about you? We often ask the question, am I heard? Are my, are my prayers hitting the ceiling? Are they disappearing into the blackness of space? What Am I heard? Sometimes you may pray and you feel like the exact opposite happens. I counseled a youth one time and he, and he said, I don't believe in God anymore. Everything that I prayed, the opposite of my prayers happened. The only response I had was, why would you jump out of a life craft? Because the waves get bigger. If you're anchored in to something that is your peace. That is your security. Just because the storm gets worse, you don't jump out. You don't abandon ship. You cling in tighter. Am I heard? The question becomes all the more strained if you're in the middle of a painful situation. Am I heard? God, are you there? Are you actually with me? Are you hearing my prayers? Are your ears full of cotton? Like I feel like the words aren't getting out of my mouth and they're just bouncing back to me. Am I heard? You need to know that Jesus was willing to cross the sea for one. That he was willing to walk with Jairus on this long trip through the crowd for one. And he hasn't stopped. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Holy Spirit is operating in you in this place and you're the one. Yes, you are heard because he will answer from his holy heaven and with the saving might of his right hand. I got a great text this past week and it said this, God answers you in three ways. He answers you with, yes, wait for it, or I have something better. So I guess the real question is, Do you have faith enough in God to say, okay, God, I trust you with whatever you deem is better. I trust you to wait for a yes. So I guess the real question is, do you believe he cares? Because if he cares, then his plan is going to be better than any plan that we have. Then his desires for you will be even more fulfilling for his kingdom and you than your plan would have been. How many times in my life have I been sure that if I could just achieve this thing that my life would be better and God said no and then a year or two later I thank God that that thing didn't happen. Maybe that's happened to you too. Maybe you're looking back and you're like, man, thank God he didn't answer yes to that prayer request. That was, what was I thinking? Hindsight being 2020 and all. God's, God's vision is eternal. Does he care enough? 
Because if he is, then you ought to be willing to wait. If he is, you ought to be willing to accept something that he deems is better for your life. Is he the God that stills the waves? That puts underfoot the spiritual forces of evil? That can heal your body? That has power over death? Because if he is, then he's also the same God that can forgive you of your sins and was thinking about you on the cross. Then he's also the same God that also has a plan for your life and it's a plan for good to prosper you. And it's also the God that it doesn't matter if you have this temporary death someday. To him, it's a transition and he's going to be calling you up to meet him, to live forever with him, with a new body. Is he a God that cares? I think Mark's asking us that question. When Jesus turns in the boat and goes, come on, fellas, where's your faith? Come on, Elevate, where's your faith? Do you believe that Jesus cares? Because if he has the power and he cares, then we are secure in him. And our future is secure in him. Holy Spirit, come and give us a vision beyond our present moment. So often, our present moment seems bleak and impossible. Lord, let us see through your eyes that you are actually in control, that you actually got this, and that you love us enough that you are still at work in our lives. Even when everything goes sideways, even whenever we're at our lowest, you are still at work. You're not done yet. And if you'll cross the sea for one and you'll die on the cross for your people, for me, then I can trust you. Lord, give us faith. Help our unbelief. Let Elevate believe in you and trust in you. Let us be a people that can rest with good sleep at night because we go to sleep knowing that we are in your arms and in your hands. Let us be people that can go into our work or school or wherever it is that we're going with confidence because we know that we are in your hands. Thank you, Lord, for these beautiful examples. Thank you, Lord, for Mark putting them together so we can see such a beautiful picture of who you are. Lord, may we answer with yes. You are the Son of God. I pray that our worship is